for your help this afternoon. <clears throat> oh, indeed. It's so much better with the instruments, isn't it? Hey, man, I am so thankful for them and how they just serve the Lord that way. Open your Bibles. Let's open our Bibles together again this afternoon. And once again, we are finding our way to the Gospel according to Mark. Gospel according to Mark, chapter number 12. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, today's study passage, last week we looked at the first 12 verses in this Mark chapter 12. Today's study passage is, uh, well, it's, I suppose, comparatively short, as it's only five verses. That means we're out of here in 20 minutes? Might. No, that just means that the passage is a little bit shorter. That's not to say that there's a shortage of profound truth, because there is no shortage in any passage of Scripture of profound truth. To, to be honest, there is no shortage, no, no matter how short the passage, no matter how short the verse, no matter how short the phrase might be, there is always profound truth because every word that God has ordained and preserved was absolutely intended as God inspired for his purpose and for our, what is that? Oh, that's right, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, as we're told in 2 Timothy 3.16. Now, we just need to make sure that it is God's word, not man's failed attempt at interpretation or man's restated generalities that he tries to put forth as a Bible that fit their own narrative and agenda. It has to be God's word. Then there is always profound truth. Amen? So keeping that thought in mind, follow along in your Bibles as I read. We're going to read our study text here. Mark chapter 12, starting verse number 13. The Bible here says, And they send unto him, that's unto Jesus, certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians, to catch him in his words. And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person of men, but teachest the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt ye me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And verse 17 says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So I've titled today's message for this short passage of Scripture, for those that might take notes, I've titled today's message, a, a, a Citizenship, I can't say the word, A Citizenship Quandary. A Citizenship Quandary. If you don't know how to spell quandary, don't worry, neither did I until I had to look it up. We can figure that out later. Anyway, uh, A Citizenship Quandary to recognize that we have 
practical responsibilities as citizens and residents wherever we might live in this world. We have practical responsibilities as those citizens. And as Christians, we also have practical responsibilities toward God as given in his word. Now, before anyone starts thinking that this is going to be, because we've already read the text, and it's talking about giving tribute to Caesar, and that's paying taxes. So before anybody starts to think that this is going to be some politically charged stump speech that doesn't belong in church, two things need to be made clear. First, the message today is not studying the politics of citizenship. We, we are here, excuse me, we are here, to study the Word of God. That's the first thing to be made clear. Secondly, we need to recognize that these conversations that Jesus is having, the things that we're studying right here in Mark chapter 12, the teaching that Jesus is providing, they're all happening in the temple in Jerusalem. What does that mean? Well, chapter 11 and verse 27 states, as he was walking in the temple, there came to him. And now it is not until the beginning of the next chapter, chapter 13, that we find, and as he went out of the temple. So everything is happening in chapter 12 here is happening in the temple. And Jesus is addressing these things. So as we'll see today with God's help, this topic was opened with, well, it was opened up with a dishonest intent. It really was. And perhaps it was opened up to try to politicize the issue. But Jesus simply understood the root of this issue, and he addressed it with truth, and by the way, he did so in church. So, while we explore this text together today, please pray, and we're going to pray here in just a minute, but please pray with me that the Holy Spirit of God opens our understanding to hear what God has to say from his word and in this passage today. Two main points that we're going to look at today. Two main points. First one is a cunning question. A cunning question. And secondly, we'll get to in a little bit, is a clear and coexistent distinction. Wow, those are big words. A clear and coexistent distinction. Those are our two points. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, once again, as I stand before you, Father, and as we gather together to open up your word, God, we're asking that the Holy Spirit of God would, Lord, not only meet with us, but Father, that your Holy Spirit would have full influence and, and full right of way to, uh, to open our hearts and to open our understanding. Lord, give us the wisdom and give us the understanding we need from your word uh, as it applies in this text. And Lord, that we might be able to apply it uh, in our own lives today. Father, just as we heard in testimony time, is there a lesson to be learned? And is there something that I need to take with me today? God, may your Holy Spirit help us today to take with us that which you know that we need. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we'll start out with a cunning question. Now, last week, last week as we closed out the message, for those of you that were here, you'll remember, Jesus had spoken a parable that the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders recognized as a rather convicting truth about their own heart's attitude toward Jesus. And uh, to be honest, it did not sit well with them. 
Because we saw and we read how at the end of our passage last week, they sought to lay hold on him, but feared the people. Now tragically, as we looked at it last week, they chose the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, the religious leaders in the temple, chose not to reconcile themselves and to not reconcile the matter with Jesus. But rather, the end of our passage said they left him and they went their way. Now perhaps, if this was an incident today and something like this happened, maybe the immediate reaction would be for these to go home and start posting about how irate they are and how unbelievable this guy Jesus is to talk to them this way about, you know, what they've been doing and about their hearts and how unfair it was. And they'd be posting about how dare he slander us this way. Surely, they would start some GoFundMe page so that they can, I don't, I don't know, so they can garner as much support as possible and, and I don't know what else, get money? I, I, I don't know. Well... Maybe they just want to play on people's emotions. Well, it may not have been Instagram, it may not have been TikTok, it may not have been what used to be called Twitter, but clearly in our passage, the behavior was somewhat equivalent as the verse 13 in our Bible says, and they, that's those that left and went their way from the previous passage. That's the chief scribes, or the chief priests rather, the scribes and the elders. They, the Bible says in verse 13, they send unto Jesus certain of the Pharisees and of the Herodians, who, by the way, also had a deep hatred for Jesus. You see, they had gone their way and I'm going to surmise that they went yakking about what Jesus had just said. You're not going to believe this story that he just told, and it was about us. I can't believe he called us out like that in the temple. Can you believe it? Gathering support for themselves. Why is it that people are so quick to share something albeit anything that they disagree with or that they have been confronted about? Why is it that people are so quick to share that out to the world and just express how upset they are about it? Well, I have to believe that it's about nothing more than trying to garner support for their own self-justification for the way they were acting so that they don't have to consider that perhaps they were, in fact, wrong in their position or in their behavior. But if I get enough people to say that I was right, then by jingles, I was right. See, that's, that's the immediate reaction of so many. Sadly, I believe that there are far too many professing Christians that conduct themselves no differently than that today. And if that's me or you, even occasionally occasionally, do we get that way? Do we like, I can't believe this just happened to me. Well, I'm just going to go talk to somebody about this. And I just can't. Once in a while, we kind of get in the flesh a little bit and we get a little bit upset. Well, if that in fact does happen, and I believe it does, we really, really need to sit down and get a hold of James chapter 5 and verse 16. What does that verse say? That says, confess your faults one to another. 
and pray one for another that ye may be healed. Oh. Oh. Well, what do you mean I need to be healed? I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. <laughs> Our former President Trump one time was asked if he had ever asked for forgiveness. He said, I've got nothing to ask for forgiveness for. Oh. I've never done anything wrong. Okay. You see, we're supposed to, we need to, by, by the word of God, we need to confess our faults one to another. And we need to pray for one another. Not judge, but put ourselves in the shoes of one another and understand and pray for one another. The Bible says that ye may be healed. And, he, and James also goes on to write the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much in that same verse. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one for another that you may be healed because the effectual fervent prayer of each other, holding each other up before a holy and a righteous God, the Bible says availeth much. Now it is, in, it is an unrepentant heart that like these Pharisees and these Herodians will hold on to animosity and pride and spite. Now notice then where that condition of the heart leads. The Bible says that these came to catch him in his words, to catch Jesus in his own words. How on earth are they going to catch Jesus in his own words? Well, it's an unrepentant heart, but they're going to take anything that they can get a hold of and twist it and say, he said, just like he said, this temple would be destroyed in three days. It took us 40 years to build this temple. He's going to destroy it and build it up again in three days. Well, why? Why, why would they want to catch him in his own words? Again, it was to justify their own agenda rather than to humble themselves in confession and asking forgiveness. Instead, they very carefully crafted their inquiry so that it might seem like they were innocently and honestly trying to show themselves as defending the Jewish nation. After all, they were God's chosen people. Notice their gushing flattery here in this next couple of verses, verses 14 and 15, the first part of verse 15. It says in verse 14, And when they were come, they say unto him, Master, we know that thou art true, and carest for no man, for thou regardest not the person, but teachest the way of God in truth. You see, they were just gushing all over him. Did they really believe that? Not for a second. But they were just trying to make it seem like it. And then they go on and they said, Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Shall we give or shall we not give? Now I suppose if we just looked at this on the surface, it may seem an innocent and a reasonable question. Well, should the Jewish people who serve and worship God, should we as Jewish people have to honor and give tribute to the Romans and, and, and to Caesar, the governor of the Roman nation? You see, they were implying that even Jesus' own words that we find in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, where Jesus said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in them. You see, they were implying that Jesus' own words should preclude them from having to give tribute to Caesar. Well, that's because they were serving God and were serving man. So maybe that's that, that guy, Jesus, he's given us confusion. Not really. Furthermore, 
The Levitical law, as recounted by Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him. So why should we give tribute to Caesar? Well, this is what sets up the quandary about citizenship. Maybe. Maybe this is what sets up the quandary about citizenship. There are some even today that believe that they shouldn't have to abide by the laws of the local and the national government because they say, I, I didn't vote for them, I don't agree with their policies, therefore I'm not going to be subject to their laws. There are some today that believe that and act that way. You see, it's a similar attitude of the heart. Yet everyone, here is the truth, everyone is a citizen of this world being born in one place or another. And when establishing a permanent residence anywhere, so if I happen to be a citizen of, I don't know, Vermont, and I move to, I don't know, Arizona, then I become a citizen of Arizona if I establish my permanent residence, all those sorts of things if I move from one country to another. When we establish a permanent residence anywhere, the truth is that the laws of the land must abide. Gen uh, Daniel chapter 2 tells us that it is God that, in verse 21, says, removeth kings and setteth up kings. God established government. God puts those in power. Romans chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Wait, that means President Biden is ordained of God? The presidency in this country is an office that is ordained by God for the leadership of this country in this world. The powers that be, and yes, I do believe that God has allowed various presidents in our history that have not been great presidents to be here so that folks might take notice <laughs> and figure out that, oh, maybe I should really think about who I'm voting for. Okay, I said I wasn't going to get political. Chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, the Bible tells us there, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him. So what then of our text and what then of these Pharisees? Weren't they partly justified in what they were saying? They were Jewish. They shouldn't have to fall under the Roman law. And yet they were living in that area and the Romans were in rule. Therefore, they needed to subject themselves to every ordinance of the law. They were not partly justified, not even a little partly justified in what they were, uh, what or how they were asking. Because the next part, as we see in verse 15, states very clearly. Now verse 15 Remember, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians are saying, shall we give or shall we not give? And here it is. But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt you me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. Now, Jesus wasn't the least bit fooled by them, nor, by the way, is he ever fooled by anything that we might do or say. Jesus knows every part of every heart. 
Jesus knows every part of every heart. We can't pull one over like the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to do here, and they failed. Which brings us to our second point. Clear and coexistent distinction. You see, they had craftily inquired, thinking that if they could make their words sound right, sounds like the modern day, what's the phrase, word salad? I've heard that a few times by some of our leadership in this country. Um, They thought that maybe they could jumble enough words together and make it sound good that they'll catch him in something that wasn't right. But there's a clear and coexistent distinction. Look with me once again, verses 15 through 17. Shall we give or shall we not give? But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said unto them, Why tempt you me? Bring me a penny that I may see it. And they brought it, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. And Jesus answering said unto them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now Jesus' answer here points out that there really is no citizenship quandary whatsoever. There is not. Both situations, both circumstances can and do coexist. Being a citizen of some place in the world and being a citizen of heaven having accepted Christ as your Savior. Both do coexist. And he indicates it by a simple three-letter word. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. A-N-D. And. That means both can exist. Render unto God the things that are God's. Do note, however, that there is a clear distinction between the two. In this text, the issue is whether the Jews should give tribute or pay taxes to Caesar. The issue is not whether they should serve and or worship Caesar as some supreme being. That wasn't even a part of it. It was simply, should we pay taxes or not? But that worshiping as a supreme being, that identity belongs to God alone. And it is God alone that we should worship and serve as our master, our creator, our heavenly father. Now we do have a civic responsibility to be a part of sustaining and maintaining the functionality of the governing system that is in place. We have a civic responsibility to pay our taxes. If we don't like the structure of our taxes, then we need to vote people in that are going to change them and change them appropriately. But there are ways to deal with that, but we have the responsibility to be a part of that and to pay our tax, especially if we ever are a beneficiary of the goods or services rendered by said government. Well, I've never taken anything from the government. Oh, have you ever been protected by the police? Hmm. Have you ever had a neighbor's house or seen a fire truck going by and saving somebody's house? Hmm. Have you ever gone to the doctor? Hmm. Well, you know, we, we don't think about all of the things that God has ordained through the government system. We take them for granted sometimes. Now we saw that just a moment ago as well from 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember we said in 1 Peter chapter 2, Submit yourselves unto every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them that are sent by him. So we are responsible to be a part of supporting the government in this world. So then, we as Christians are also to abide by 
and obey the laws of the land insofar as they do not directly contradict and oppose the law, of, the law of God as found in Scripture. Our founding forefathers were pretty smart cookies. They made sure that our Constitution was written with God in mind. Serving God and maintaining scriptural truths were all written into our Constitution. It wasn't until we decided as mankind to amend the Constitution and, well, that doesn't, that sounds a little too religious. We need to separate all that out. We need to, well, I'll stop there. We as Christians are to abide by and obey the laws of the land insofar as they do not contradict and impose the law of God as found in Scripture. When they do directly oppose Scripture, then we, like Peter, can take the stand of we ought to obey God rather than man. And this is part of why Jesus, as he was praying in John 17, prayed, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. Now when we choose God over the world, even though we are in the world, when we choose God, our nonconformance to the world's ideas and ideals should stand out. They better stand out if we're choosing God over the world. If there is not a standout difference or distinction, then somewhere there has been a compromise in our hearts that begins to endanger any effectiveness we may have in witnessing for the Lord. And that, in turn, friends, also opens the door. Not, not just the slightest bit, but it opens the door for other compromises to take place. Once one compromise is in place, then it's so much easier to compromise again just a little bit more. Now, this accumulation of compromises may take some time, but it doesn't make them any less detrimental. Paul wrote... Uh, excuse me, Peter, rather, wrote in his second epistle. He wrote in chapter, as we have it, chapter 2 and verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. You see, once you begin to compromise and it just starts to build one on top of another in compromise, the Bible tells us that it's not going to turn out well. We don't have to be overcome by the pollutions of the world. We could take solace in the fact that Jesus is interceding for us, even as he told Peter. Didn't he tell Peter, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. You see, just as Jesus was praying for Peter... Jesus right now is in heaven interceding on my behalf and on your behalf. We don't have to be overcome by the pollutions of the world. We can coexist and still be distinct. As the redeemed of the Lord, we have a dual citizenship. There is no quandary. We have a dual citizenship, one as being in this world for now, and a greater citizenship as being a part of the family of God. There need not be a quandary about how the two should coexist until we go home. The Bible says, render to Caesar 
the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And what happened? The Bible tells us at the very end of that verse 17, they marveled at him. See, what started as a plot to finally catch Jesus with his own words indicting himself ended with God being glorified and the wisdom of God being shared and prevailing. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll close with this today. Ephesians chapter 6. We're almost done. Push through to the end. Here we go. Ephesians chapter 6 as we close. I'll leave you with these words as recorded by the Apostle Paul starting in verse number 5. He writes, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Verse 8 says, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. You see, friends, there is no quandary as the Pharisees and the Herodians tried to generate. We simply need to exist under God's law and exist with the responsibilities that we have in this world. Dual citizenship. Amen. Pastor, would you close? Pretty powerful word, marvel. I wonder if we also have lost the marvel. They saw it, they sensed it. I'll get my voice back in a little bit. But I think we get so used to being around the Word of God and the people of God that when we pick up this book, we no longer marvel at the love, the promises that are all in here for you and I. Isn't there a song of lost the marvel of it all? Or something? Never lost the wonder of it all. Never lost the wonder of it all. There we go. Uh, And that that should be our song. Anytime you come to the word of God. To never lose the wonder of it all. Father, we thank you for this time that we could come together. And Lord, we know something that a vast majority of the world does not know. Well, if we look at historically back at even the text of today, and these were religious leaders, and they marveled at such wisdom, at such insight, and at such understanding. And the wonderful thing about it all is, Lord, you want to share that marvel with us. You want to share that wonder of it all. So, Lord, may our heart crave it and desire it, and never lose sight of it. And Father, we'll give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Christ's name, amen. 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 So a few men can help me downstairs and get some things shifted around a little bit there.